You're listening to the Personal Development Through Martial Arts podcast, the podcast where the world's highest personal development experts and martial arts masters come together to empower and inspire you to become your strongest self and live the life that you truly want. Join host Bogdan Rosho, author, public speaker, and the founder of the first personal development through martial arts school in the world, in the podcast where you become the hero. We're going to be uh, interviewing Sifu Phil Romero, and I I'm, I'm, hope I'm uh, pronouncing his uh, name right. My, uh, my accent is not that great. Uh, before we dive into the interview, I would like to invite you to share this uh, live stream with your friends, with your Kung Fu brothers and sisters, because you're going to get a ton of value from this interview um, in, uh, in terms of Wing Chun, in terms of developing yourself as an individual and, um, you know, just getting some tools in order to progress in your life. Uh, my name is Bogdan. I uh, help you live a happier, healthier, and more abundant life through personal development and martial arts training, specifically Wing Chun Kung Fu. Um, before we begin, let me just um, recommend uh, bookmartialarts.com. They're basically our uh, sponsor for uh, this episode. They actually interviewed um, us, they interviewed me for, uh, for the blog. But bookmartialarts.com is the number one platform where you can reserve, you can book a martial arts vacation or martial arts trip. And I had, you know, I found out about them just a few weeks ago. They have an amazing, amazing platform and be sure to check them out. That being said, <clears throat> Sifu Romero, how are you? And first of all, please uh, let me know if I'm, if I'm uh, mispronouncing your name completely or, uh, Everything is perfectly fine. You did well. Awesome. <laughs> um, uh, Sifu, Sifu Romero, please tell everyone who's um, watching, for the people who don't really know your backstory, how did you start out with, uh, with martial arts? When did you start your uh, martial arts journey? And uh, you know, what, what inspired you to do so? Well, the journey started back in 1974. Um, it was something that I had no interest in. Pretty much, it was a friend of mine that I had worked with that was much older than myself, and he used to get really upset with me because, mm -hmm. you know, you have a 14-year-old that's pretty hyper and, and just running on a journal and, and, and just can't settle down. And, um, you know, I only had been living in Albuquerque at that time, only for about four years. I was born and raised in Los Angeles. I mean, we moved, we moved actually um, to New Mexico in, in 1970. Because uh, my parents are from here, mm -hmm. and so my father was Terry, so I was raised in L.A. So, you know, that was a whole different environment. So when I get here, it's kind of boring. You know, it's like it's it's a small town. Right. Um, there's not a there's not a whole lot to do, and so you know, I'm already in junior high school, and I'm starting to look into things to want to do for myself. And so I started actually taking up photography and filmmaking because my father was a photographer. Mm -hmm. And and so what took place was. This guy used to get mad at me, and he finally just said, look, you know, get in my car. I'm like, I don't want to get in your car. He goes, I'm going to take you to martial arts school. I'm like, I'm not going to go. Yeah. And he, and he goes, yes. And I'm like, so he said, what is it going to take for you to go? And I'm like, a hamburger. So he took me for a hamburger. <laughs> um, we'd go get one, and then we get to the school, or halfway eat it, and I throw it in the back of the car, and he gets mad, and I, that's what he told me. That's why he so I started in Tai Chi. I started actually in Northern Shaolin and Tai Chi combined with a gentleman by the name of Charles Lynn, Sifu Charles Lynn, that's still alive in Albuquerque. And I, that's where I got my start from there, from 1974 to 1979. Uh, I graduated high school in 1978, and I went back to Los Angeles, and, and that's when I would run into Hawkins Chung. Mm -hmm. um, okay. Mm -hmm. The world is different back then as far as martial arts, what we see today. Interesting. In what way? There was a tremendous amount of more respect, and people actually literally trained. There was no internet. We had no internet. I mean, it's kind of like this. If you, you know, if you're out in the field, you picked up a stick, you made a gun, or you made a fort. You know, you got creative. Yeah. So you just you just trained to get better, and you know, and and there was challenges all the time. So, you know, you you, you were being challenged all the time to get better and to train harder and more diligent with it. 
nowadays it's opposite. It's the it's almost like 360. It's opposite of everything. People train less. They come when they feel like you know they need to. Mm-hmm. Um, they say it doesn't work. Uh, they say that Wing Chun lacks. You know these arts lack. These arts lack nothing. They really don't lack anything. There's only one secret that I always say, and they always ask me, well, what, what is that secret? That, you know, to train hard. Yeah. And nobody does that. Nobody really does that. Not saying everybody, but the majority of the populace does not train hard. Interesting. So um, let's go back a bit to um, to your background. Like, what inspired you to continue doing Tai Chi in the beginning, seeing that you absolutely hated the idea of uh, training martial arts? Or <laughs> <laughs> Well, imagine taking a 14-year-old kid and trying to get him to do Tai Chi. Okay? Yeah. Uh, you know, that's very quiet. And so... And, you know, I didn't like it for the first month and a half. Um, I just didn't like it. It was like standing there learning how to breathe and quiet myself down. Mm-hmm. Um, what did take place was something clicked in my head that, you know, I could do this. And I really started to look at it from every angle that I could possibly think of. Yeah. And I started to, actually, I started to work it at that level. <laughs> Excuse mm-hmm. me. And so um, I started to work it at that angle. And I noticed that every time I could have made certain type of moves, when somebody actually locked hands with me, I could literally press them off the ground and, you know, push them back pretty far. But I had to learn how to use my body and load my bones, not, you know, not the exoskeletal, but the endoskeletal. Mm-hmm. And you know, I was small then. I was probably about maybe five foot two. I was only weighing probably like about 115 pounds at the time. Right. And fully grown, you know, small kid. And so it, it started to get, you know, kind of the better end of my mind. And then I, then I also did the Northern Shaolin with him. And the training within that context of that material, because it demanded a little bit more physical, mm-hmm. um, and also structures from the form started actually making me think the same way. So I kept pursuing that. And every day I'd go in with a different identity of wanting to learn how to make it better and figure out how to actually take a human that was like maybe twice my size, you know, that would outweigh me by over 100 and some pounds, and press them off the ground, mm-hmm. and then it was I was being, I started to become successful. So, now fighting was a different animal because that's a whole different range and a whole different characteristic mm-hmm. that you have to understand. Yeah. So that didn't evolve until I got to Los Angeles with Hawkins, but my fighting was more of a street fighting because back then, again, keep this in mind, it's 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 the seventies. You know, people didn't call police. So you you actually could have had a good fist fight. You mm-hmm. went to the back of a building and you just you know, you had it out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you yeah, know, that, and that's actually that exactly kind of what, what I wanted to ask you because um, previously you mentioned there were more challenges. So were you probably referring to more challenge fights that you guys uh, were, um, you know, it was easier just to actually create a fist fight or a challenge fight and test your skills back then than uh, it is today? Oh, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> It was painful. <laughs> I mean, nobody, nobody, you know, the safety gear was just starting to come out. Mm-hmm. You know, the whole Junri concept of the Taekwondo, which was the foam pad that came over, you know, that didn't start really coming out until like the 70s. And then, you know, if you, in those days, um, the magazine that you had was Black Belt Magazine and Inside Kung Fu Magazine. Mm-hmm. So, you saw more traditional material than more westernized eclectic material that's been created today. And you didn't hear people say for the fact is is that, oh, well, you know, these arts lack. And so, uh, you know, we created this eclectic art. And that was something that you never saw. People literally work these arts at the highest level. And they actually did work. They worked extremely well. But we don't see that today. And I, there's, and Only a handful of guys that are in my age range that actually are still doing it, and they're very powerful. Mm-hmm. You just don't want to touch hands with guys. And do you feel like um, the main reason why why they're not as uh, or they don't look okay, they're they're not being perceived as being um, as efficient as they are. The main reason would be because people aren't really training them, or they're not training really hard compared to uh, that's one that. that- that's a good question because there's two sides. There's a couple sides of that that that, that coin. Yeah. Uh, what, what's fascinating is that's one. That's one. 
The other is people really don't know what comprises an art, literally what makes up an art. Like I've had people say that Wing Chun lacks, you know, ground ground fighting. Not true. Not true at all. Okay. Um, you know, there's five elements to a combat system, and basically one of the elements of the of that is actually the throws. It's in the system. Mm-hmm. Open sequence of Sealum Tao. Actually, the first you know first opening sequence to the Sealum Tao is actually a throw. So it's just joint lock. It's also a punch. It's also a kick. And basically, it's a sequence set. But nobody seems to grasp the concept anymore because what has happened is the training within itself is comprises one thing: you looking in the mirror at everything you don't like yeah. and everything that you don't like, you fix that. That's so powerful, you know, and um, it's it's an incredibly powerful tip for life in general. I mean, we always love to look at what we're good at, but it's very uncomfortable and sometimes even painful to look at what you're not really mastering, what you're not really um, putting in the time to improve in uh, in your life. And I feel that's that's a very, very powerful concept that everyone listening in can, um, can use. Um, you know, I saw... I saw some people using some um, some of the ideas from Wing Chun in ground fighting. Like um, you can absolutely apply the feeling from Chi Zhao when you're you're on the ground to you just get a better feel of um, of your opponent. However, not many schools actually train that way. You know, in in, in talking about it right now, I I personally feel that a lot of uh, Wing Chun teachers don't really allow their students to spar and actually, um, you know, verify the applications of what they're learning. So I see a lot of a lot of students um, and everybody listening and you know who you are. I see a lot of students just sticking to the ground too much and not having uh, a lot of mobility with their footwork. And that's something that I had to change about the way I teach and uh, train in the past year, to be honest. And um yeah, you know, why, why do you feel that, that makes sense? Why do you feel that so many teachers aren't really allowing their students to fight or spar? Well, you know, prior, prior to the, you know, well, well, there was two reasons why I went to, back to Los Angeles. Mm. One was I wanted to go into the, the movie industry, which I did. Because um, I, I actually was, I actually had, when I was a teenager in, in Albuquerque and studying, I had a couple jobs. I was a skateboarder uh, professionally. Mm-hmm. And then on top of that, I also um, worked in a movie laboratory, actually developing a processing movie film. Mm-hmm. And so in the early 70s, I actually worked on some major productions like Memphis of the Earth, Devil's Reign, uh, Convoy, these, you know, these, you know, Billy Jack movies. I worked in the lab on those things, the test reels. So when you get back, you know, like, it was a different world then. What happens is, is that the modern day you know world what we see in Wing Chun, the King Kit's no longer discussed about. People say, well, that's just some kind of poetic language that nobody really does anymore. Mm-hmm. Well, first off, these are language based arts. These are strictly language based arts. The characters and the identity of the characters denote the energies of how these things work. Okay, it's not one. English is English does a disservice and an injustice to these arts. Mm-hmm. It's very. It, now, if you speak a different language, you would understand what I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, speak Spanish. <laughs> Spanish. Yeah. But English is, is extremely dry in actually trying to explain something. You kind of have to kind of create visuals of how energy is transposed and dispersed. The problem is, is that most people look at Wing Chun because it's been propagated this way since actually the 70s, up until eventually when a lot of these guys from, you know, from mainland or from Hong Kong started dying. And then people started taking over. That it only just became just the punch, just a pox out, a bong out. Then it became its physical aspect, yeah, and its exoskeleton, an endo. And so what happens is, somebody doesn't complete the timeline and go through the whole process. They only go through just one small bit, and they don't really understand the concept of fighting. Fighting is based on space, yes. time and space. And it also has a triangulation, which causes it to move in different factions. Mm-hmm. Nothing ever stays the same. Mm-hmm. So the problem I see is that, you know, you have to learn how to, basically, it's like you have a whole field of rocks. And you have to learn how to uncover each one and see what's underneath the rock mm-hmm. and find out what's there and what's the secret behind it. Most people won't do that. They won't. Do you, do you speak Cantonese as well? 
Unfortunately, I don't. But I actually have people that interpret everything for me, from Pinyin, Mandarin to Cantonese. Excellent. In yeah. Asia. When, um, when I interviewed Sifu David Peterson, um, he's a, um, he teaches Mandarin and Cantonese. And, um, he does. I, I, read it, I read it in his book as well. He was mentioning the fact that um, by if you if you speak and you understand Cantonese, then Wing Chun has a totally different meaning for you yeah. because you 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 get into the heart and soul of of what they were referring to what in, into the explanations. Like like a Tanzao is not just a name; it's it's a motion. It's a verb, actually. Yes, it is. It's true. David is. One thing, you know, I, I love about David, and there's many things I love about David, but this is what, that part of it, what he talks about, yeah, is so you that you, I could sit I could sit for hours and days with him on this conversation, just this one alone, yeah. what you just yeah. said. Yeah. But the problem is, look, the Western society and the, and the, the English language, okay, l let's look at it like this, not to take up too much time. Mm. But basically, in, in, 18, in 1898 to about 1905, 1902, there was a coalition that was created in Beijing that separated. This is hard. This is soft. Mm. You know, this was a British coalition that took place. Right. That never ever. That that you can't do that. That's just impossible. That's an English concept. It's not a. It's yeah. not a. An a, 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 a Eastern you know concept. I mean, you know, it's it's kind of like Hawkins would say this. This is what Hawkins would say. He made it very clear. Wing Chun owns you until you can learn how to control Wing Chun mm -hmm. and actually make Wing Chun work for you, then you can own Wing Chun. But until then, Wing Chun will own you. You will not own it. Interesting. Interesting. Um, can we go back to um, that concept? Because I'm not sure I, uh, I fully grasped it. When you said that there was a coalition that split, the, they, they split into soft and hard, right? Um, what did you mean exactly? Yeah, like, uh, you, you can't really do that, like split the two or I'm not sure I got the, uh, the idea. That's fine. <laughs> what it was is that they would sit down and they would take the, you know, break down like characters and they would try to, you know, give it a Western identity and, you know, the written language. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. so they were, they were basically trying to say to create identity. Um, you know, if you know anything about the Chin Wu. Um, you know, the history of the Chin Wu. Mm -hmm. The Chin Wu actually kept the martial arts alive. And so when it was being brought into Western worlds, they were trying to kind of create a standard, kind of like a Q-Kid standard so that you could have something to work off for Westerners. Yes. Um, you know, even Kano, even Kano from Japan went to uh, the Chin Wu. He was actually known to have gone there in the past. I read about it, you know, that he was actually also learning as well in his in his judo, uh, his creation of his, the judo that he that we don't see today, but the older version of it, mm -hmm. the Konomitsu, was all based on you know on, went into the Jinwu, and he helped also formulate for the for the for uh, you know the English to, to in the judo be brought out in the Jinwu along with other arts. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Excuse me. You can read about it. I mean, there's there's a book actually that's written about the material. It's pretty uh, amazing. Actually, the first thing the first thing that came to my mind when uh, you mentioned um, separating the hard and the soft, the first question that came into my mind was why? Why would you do that? I mean, they're not. Why would you separate the hard and the soft? They they essentially like they actually become one. You because you, you know remember you got to keep in perspective right the timeline the timeline is most important. Right, and so this was extremely new, eighteen hundreds. You know, this was this is you know the colonization along with the Dutch and, and the British and the French, you know, the Spaniards, and you know, you even had Americans, and Australians inside there. Mm -hmm. um, you know, if you if you look at the whole concept of the war that took place all the way from Shanghai, then King, all the way down to Hong Kong, and you know the, the ports, you know, all through mainland China, you'll start to see that there there was these separations that took place, and language was a base that was being separated, and so. This is a process of time. I mean, you look at Hong Kong, it's a colony port. It's a, it, you look at Shanghai, it was a colony port. Yes. You know, yes. You, you start to see that everything is separated. You, you saw guys wearing top hats, you know, but they're still wearing the queue. And they're still wearing the, the traditional outfit but with a top hat mm -hmm. and a monocle. So, <laughs> you know, it's kind of crazy. I mean, this is the way it was, you know, in this period. So when I talk about Wing Shun and, I, and, and if I'm doing research, I'm looking at its era. 
and I'm looking at what took place in the era mm-hmm. that would change it to what we see today, to where it's moved away from its center base and gone so far to the you know to the exponential, That's and it's not connected what should have been. That's very interesting, and um, I think um, Jim Roslando, who researches Wing Chun history, he can um, he can uh, develop a lot into this uh, into the insight of um, of how Wing Chun came to be, of how Wing Chun um, as we know it today. Um, I'd love to hear a bit about you know how it was for you when you first met Hawkins Chung, you you know with with your previous martial arts background. Uh, what was the aha moment and what actually inspired you to say, okay, I need to learn from this guy? Because Hawkins is a very small person, right? Yes, he is. He's, 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 he's five foot one. Um, he weighs 100, 110 pounds. I mean, he's very small. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I've, I, you may have read the story or heard it from other people, but uh, when I first met him, you know, Hawkins originally, I think he came into Los Angeles in 1977. Right. You know, I graduated in 78, so I moved back to Los Angeles in 79, and he was teaching out of his house in the garage. He was actually teaching Danny Santo mm. and one of the, and a couple of the students. Interesting. If you go back and you could see, yeah, if you could ever go back and look at some of the old Inside Kung Fu magazines, mm-hmm. um, you would actually see pictures of, of their introduction to Hawkins in the, in the world, you know, in society. Sure. Just to put this and into so, perspective for everyone listening in, Hawkins was one of, um, um, I think, one of the first or one of the eldest um, students of Yip Man, right? Um, I'm, not, mm-hmm. I'm not sure if, if he was like the first that he taught, but he was definitely doing, studying with Yip Man for a long, long time, from what I know. Well, he started, it, it, it was kind of like um, Bruce had brought him in. Him and Bruce, him and Bruce grew up together as, really? as young children. Yeah, so they, they've known each other forever. They were they were little kids. They knew each other. Mm-hmm. Um, so it'd be 1955 when he actually walked in the door with with Bruce. Um, Hawkins basically stayed with him man all the way until his death. There was a period that he was gone. He was gone for roughly, I, I would say, about maybe two years. Um, he was actually in Japan. He went to school in Japan. Yes, he's a CPA, and he also went to school in um, Australia. He went to college there. Yeah, there was an, and we'll talk about this later, but there was actually a notorious fight that he had with, with Muay Thai fighters, and five of them at one time in Australia. It was published in a, in a newspaper. Five Muay um, Thai fighters at once? Or like, uh, like one at a time? It was like two at a time. <laughs> I wish somebody had a camera back then. This would have been, would have been a great movie fight scene. He also had a he also had a fight with one of the top senior students in the in a dojo in Japan, mm. <laughs> and uh, caused a lot of havoc because <laughs> he's he's got he's out he actually has a uh, a background in in uh, in Shotokan. <laughs> um, Hawkins did Shotokan before. Yes, <laughs> I love that. I, I uh, yes. I did Shotokan before, you know, before um, studying Wing Chun, and I was uh, I was talking to Dave, one of um, one of uh, Sifu Mark Phillips's uh, head instructors. He did Shotokan before as well, and we were joking around and saying, you know, if you're doing Shotokan right now, you should absolutely stop and start training Wing Chun immediately because you're gonna love it. No, I'm a correction. The correction. It's Gojo. I mean, it was Gojo Ru. I'm sorry, not Shotokan, but Gojo Ru. Um, Okay. But he actually had a fight with the senior student when the teacher was gone, and there was a big havoc, but I'll tell you that story later. Uh, basically, what happened was, let's get back to the original uh, context of the yeah. story. Um, he was actually teaching in, 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 the gar- in his garage at his house in, in, in West L.A. And so Inosanto had basically said, hey, let's get a building together and let's teach. Mm-hmm. So the first academy that they had created together Although Inosanto had the Torrance Academy back then, there was a West Los Angeles Academy in Culver City on Washington, on Washington Boulevard. And so they got a building together. So I had moved back into Los Angeles with the guy that got me started in the martial arts because we, you know, he also was working in the movie industry with me. Mm-hmm. And so um, he, we both, I went to the, I, I was actually working right down the road from the school and I walked in on, a, I think, a Monday night 
And Chris Kent, which you know a lot of people know who he is from the JKD, was actually there. He's a British guy. He's a nice guy. Mm-hmm. He said, no, Hawkins is here on Tuesday night. Why don't you show up? So I went on Tuesday night. And so I actually walked in. And there were like seven guys. You know, this is fighting. I mean, these guys are big. Yeah. Not small. Like, you know, I was a little bit taller than Hawkins. I kind of looked down at him just a little bit. And he looked at me, and I, you know, he had a broom in his hand, and I thought he was a janitor. I didn't realize that it was a teacher. <laughs> and so I said, you know, I said, I'm looking for the teacher. You know, are you a janitor? He looked at me and goes, no, I am the teacher. I'm like, oh, I'm so sorry. Like, excuse me. You know, he just kind of looked at me like I was a prick kid. Yeah. But you have to remember, Hawkins, you know, at that age, was still on fire with the Wing Chun, and his fighting was incredible. How old so was he when, we, you, when you met him? He was he was in his forties. He was actually you know you know like early forties. Mm-hmm. And and so what took place was he 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 had these guys fighting. So he tells me you 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 get up. He goes you know you're from New Mexico. You should be able to learn how to fight over there. You guys you know live out in the middle of nowhere. So I'm like, well, it's not necessarily true, but I'm from here. And so he had me fight. I, and I held off these guys pretty good. I mean, you know, street fighting was my street fighting was really good then. And you know, he, he may have me hold these guys off. Yeah. And I was holding them off, off, and he said, "Okay, now me and you." I'm like, "Oh God, here we go." So I figured, you know, this could be easy. I could take this guy out. No. Yeah. It lasted no more than probably just a few seconds. Yeah. I was thrown upside down, flipped up in the air on my back, and punched in the head. And when I got up, I was really busy. I mean, it hurt so bad. Mm-hmm. Um, made me sit in a corner, and then I went home, and I, I, I probably had a concussion. And yeah. my head felt like it was just going to split in half. So did he punch <laughs> you in the head and then throw you on the ground? Uh, I, a little bit of everything, I should say. A kick, <laughs> punch, throw. <laughs> I mean, I, 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 I had the salad bowl, you know, <laughs> the fruit bowl, if you want to call it that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In, you know, the my worst. body. And that was just amazing. But when I went home, you know, I was sitting in my apartment, like I, I had been hit. I've been kicked, punched. I've been thrown against walls. Mm-hmm. I've been thrown against cars. But never punched like was that. A, no. Uh, that made me stay. That literally made me stay. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Interesting. Yeah. That's all. <clears throat> that, that, would, that's like, that would definitely not work as a good uh, strategy for keeping students today. <laughs> exactly. But it worked. <laughs> It worked. Yeah, yeah. And that and that, that wouldn't be the only <clears throat> excuse me. That wouldn't be the only, you know, time that ever happened. He did that with a lot of the other guys that I trained with. Mm-hmm. Like the much, much, much older guys, Hawkins, the original group. Yeah. All to this day we talk about this stuff. We I we still get together. We have lost one of the original guys um due to actually cancer. And he actually um, his name was Ronnie Howell. He's he he lived in New York City. He actually trained with with uh, Duncan Leon in New York City um, when Duncan was living in New York City, and then Virginia Beach, and then he moved back. And this guy weighed like three hundred and like three hundred eighty pounds. Yeah, he was about five foot nine. But he trained with Hawkins, you know, with us. And you know, this guy would say the same thing. You know, this guy he goes, Duncan and Hawkins are the really powerful people. Mm-hmm. You know, in in and, you know, basically we have this guy as our training partner because it's like, like he actually said to us, you know, if you can learn how to stop a fat man like me, you yeah. can stop anybody in the world. Like, well, that was a challenge within itself. And that took a 20 year process. Awesome. Awesome. And what, so what do you feel was like, this was um, some, what do you feel go ahead. gave such an edge to Hawkins? Was it the amount of time he spent training? Was it the quality? of um of uh Yip Man's, uh teaching or uh was it like just because of his character or was it all, all of them combined all of what you said combined mm-hmm. um i'll share this with you and i've never talked about this but i'll talk about it okay in hawkins you got more than what which you could ever bargain for you could get his wing shun yeah hawkins personal version of shun when you talk about Hawkins' personal version of Wing Chun, you're talking in a, a, a full-blown encompassment that's way beyond imaginable. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You can get Hawkins' Wing Chun combined with Ip Man. You can get Hawkins' Wing Chun combined with him and Bruce Lee and Bruce's JKD. 
that the JKD that you that the people don't understand is actually a duality between two people, Hawkins and Bruce, their creation and inception of actually timing and startup timing. That's an interesting concept. Then the other aspect is is that because they kept in touch even when he was in the United States. Right. Then you get Hawkins, you get Hawkins' version of actually his Wu style Tai Chi combined with actually his Gojo Wu. Very interesting. And so you see my point? Mm -hmm. I I was trying to so watch takes um you know, I was oh. trying to watch one of his uh, videos a few um I think it was last year, but then I, I just stopped because to me it was incredibly difficult to follow what he was saying, right? So how did you guys manage that? You know, how did you guys manage to uh, not only understand what he was uh, he was teaching, but actually apply it and go deep? Yes, he was a difficult person to understand. What people don't realize is that he had a reconstructive surgery in his ears, and so he has two hearing aids. Mm. And so that's what people don't see because his hair he covered up. Yeah, we we knew this. Um, if you got, in other words, if you got to know him as well as we did, yeah, eventually you could get past the Chinglish, and then you could start to interpret for him. So I was there so much with him day in and day out. I mean, I had a key to the place. He even had a martial arts supply house in what in up in Wilshire Boulevard in West LA. Yeah, you know, yeah. you know kind of a, where Santa Monica, West LA go. So people tell me, well, what did he say? I'm like, well, he said this. I'm like, how do you know? It's like. It's Chinglish, you know, you have to understand how to interpret Chinglish, you know? Yeah. yeah, yeah. And so, and so I, I would start to interpret for him. And after a while, we just all pretty much got to, to a, a really finer, finer point of, of uh, getting, you know, this at a very high level. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of it, too, was he would actually sit you down one on one and give you what you needed and show you how to get there. Yeah. I love that. And he would say, it's, it's, you know, I gave it to you. It's up to you to actually make it. But mm -hmm. like, he would say this. This is what he would say. I, you have a lump of coal in your hand here. I give you this lump of coal. Can you make your own diamond? Why do you want my diamond when you can't create your own? Why do you have to follow my coattails? Yeah. Yeah. That's so powerful. That was it. That was it. So in, in reality, like, okay, there was a time period. There was a time period when, say, for example, you know, remember Enter the Dragon? Uh, there was, a, you know, you, you saw Jim Kelly walk into the Afro-American Kempo League school. Mm -hmm. it, the, the, the black guys in the Enter the Dragon. That's Steve Saunders. Mm -hmm. uh, that's, that's a Steve Saunders, actually. Um, Steve is actually a very powerful martial artist. I mean, I've met him many times in, in South Central LA. Yeah. Well, some of his guys came, came to Hawkins. They actually came to Hawkins. And they talked to Hawkins. They said, we want to spar you guys. And Hawkins said, come back in two days. I'll have my guys ready. Now, granted, you have to remember. You have to remember this. Some of these guys had only been there for maybe two, you know, maybe six months to maybe maybe three, three years. Yeah, yeah. We're, we're talking having to fight guys that have been doing it 20, 30 years, 10 years, you know, 15 years. The outcome, the outcome was like a 70, 40, 70% 70 on our side. And 40% on their side. Mm -hmm. My first fight, I won hands down. I, I fought a 20-year guy. Yeah. And I took a beat. I took a beating, but I, it didn't take long. I mean, I took a couple, quite a few clean shots. Yeah. The second one, I was, it was, yeah, it was 50-50. Yeah. You know, yeah. and, the, yeah. and all, all the guys, it was the same way. But they totally had respect for us. Mm -hmm. Completely hunters and respect. I love that. Uh, let's talk a bit about that. You know, you guys are uh, organizing an event uh, with um, Jim Roselando, um, Mark Phillips, and um, um, yeah. Alex Richter, right? And uh, let's tell us a bit more about that. And I'd love to, I'd love it if you share with everyone, you know, what can we do to get inspired and train harder and make Wing Chun functional? or, you know, embrace the changes that are happening today in 2018 and maybe create a version of Wing Chun that is, there is like, I wouldn't say modern, but let's say more appealing to um, to more people so that they do feel that they're training and uh, they want to feel inspired to do so. Sure. Um, you know, the, 
the the workshop that that we do in Boston, uh, it's a, becoming an annual every year. Mm-hmm. Um, when I first, you know, started talking to Jim, it's been probably about maybe six years now, five yeah. six years. You know, we, we started talking about you know the quality of Wing Chun was going down so severely. It doesn't matter what family. I I, I you know I don't yeah you know pit against it because of this person. To me, I'm looking at Wing Chun. Is a family. Overall, it, it's, right. These systems are designed strictly as a family. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I was started. You know, I started to work with Jim, and Jim started to work with me. I showed him the Ipman side. He showed me the Guadalupe Sun. Yeah, on John material. Pretty incredible stuff. So we actually, along with Jeff Kepler, we, you know, Jeff is down in in, in uh, Philadelphia, and you probably saw the Danny Harrigan, you know, uh, interview that I did. And Jeff was in that one. Mm-hmm. Um, what took place was we had decided. Hey, let's just put together a workshop and see what happens. Well, yeah. it was myself and, and Jim, right? And, and um, at that time, I think it was uh, Alex Richter. I think we did it with. Um, but what took place was it started to become a hit. I mean, it was like kind of like shocking at first. And we said, you know, let's just do. Let's see what happens. Let's do it again next year. So we did. So it kept evolving. And what happened was. You have to understand it's expensive now for people to fly in the United States and you know go places by just airfare. Yeah. I mean, I could fly to Europe cheaper than I can to the East Coast. I could fly to Thailand cheaper than I can fly to the East Coast where I live at. Wow. Well, it's yeah, That's it's crazy. crazy. I mean, I can actually fly. So we kept the cost so far down to the point where we made it affordable, mm-hmm. and we looked for places where people stay in. Right. Well, the thing is, is that the quality of the material by starting by introducing. Alex Richter, myself, Jim Rosalando, and, and Mark Phillips, you know, from the UK. We're, you know, we started to actually put, we started talking about this, about putting quality material out there and giving people really what they need to get back to the basics again, to start training at a much higher level. Yes. And not go, uh, you know, about the whole flash in the pan type, you know, we show we see today. Yeah. And, and get away from, you know, these, these, because as, as I said to them one time, and I said, look, you guys, sport fighters are sport fighters. Mm-hmm. MMA is MMA. You know, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu is Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. But has anybody ever crossed hands with a real Hungar practitioner? Has anybody crossed hands with a Dombe White Ape guy? Has anybody ever crossed hands with a Baji guy? I mean, you know, in general, you know, we laugh. We're like, yeah, that, that, that hurts. That crap hurts. And it's powerful. <laughs> but but, you know, the problem is, is that, you know, we started to look at it from every angle. Yeah. And what we started to do was sitting down together as a group and identifying that, look, we are Wing Chun men. We have a responsibility in Wing Chun to preserve it and keep it alive in this present day society mm-hmm. where we're at. To keep going for the next 20, 30 years. I'm the oldest of the group. I'm actually 10 years older than most of the guys. Uh, and I, you know, they call me Uncle Phil, and I'm like, oh, I'm good with that, you know, and, and I laugh. But the reality is, is that you know, we're trying to preserve and keep these things alive so that it gives everybody something that they need in their training, where they're at, not where you know they do, you know give them all this extraneous stuff so that's unnecessary. And how are you doing that? How and, are you how are you helping the system? Uh, how are you preserving the system? What are you offering in this workshop? that would uh would help do that like like what i what i deal with myself <clears throat> like what i did with in one of the workshops i actually taught the eight elbows of wing shun okay you know, the, you know, i taught that and i went through i went through the whole entire you know spectrum of how it's utilized and how and showed the body how it moves in mm-hmm. how you close the gap is that um jim had done one where he was actually showing how to actually use the chi saw to enter in right and close that gap. So, and then Mark had done, she done one where he actually showed how to go inside and just go in inside and just close that gap and just, you know, blast somebody apart. And so what I had done was, because I was the last one, I kind of welded all that together along with the elbows and showed exactly each piece that they showed and put it all together using the elbows and the whole body and solidified nice. it. And that's what I had done. Nice. So, you know, it was, it was a combination of events. It really is how we did it. And we do this all the time. And this is open to the public. Anybody in the world can show up. You know, and, and the other thing, too, is, is we also leave options open. Say, for example, if somebody wants to study with Mark, 
if somebody wants to study with Jim or somebody wants to study with myself or Alex Richter, you know, Richter's actually very well versed. I mean, I, I he's young and, 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 and totally, you know, love this man. He's great. Mm-hmm. All these guys are the you know most incredible martial art practitioners within their own right. They have put their time in. And yeah. they have really worked it hard. And, the, you know, if, if you put yourself in the shoes where we're you know, you don't, you don't get a lot of whole lot of money all the time. You know, you yeah. do this because you really love this. <laughs> and by the way, guys, um, of- we had like, it's funny because I interviewed all of them. And uh, I interviewed Alex, I interviewed Mark, I, I interviewed uh, Jim, you know, we're having this interview right now. And I really, really enjoyed spending time with them and just learning about their, their past and uh, what they're doing, their plans for, for Wing Chun. I absolutely recommend everybody uh, listening in to check out the um the previous interviews um you know i feel like from from what i see for example i had a workshop this weekend and uh one of the people in the workshop were had been doing wing chun in another school for like a year and a half and uh after the workshop we had a discussion and he was saying that look i'm just not sure that my wing chun will work against somebody who does mma i just don't i i just don't feel it being functional right he um he was saying that i feel that i have no uh no power in my wing chun and by you know by looking at his wing chun i just said yeah you're absolutely right it will never work against uh, somebody doing mma they would just mop the floor with you you know um and i feel that a lot of people doing wing chun today feel like that and i feel like that as well in the beginning you know how would i compare to somebody who's doing boxing and after six months they can kick uh they can kick ass uh, easily um I, I feel that a huge contribution would be if people were being given some tools some practical tools a bit sooner rather than keeping the uh the good stuff the secrets you know so so far away from them you know just train the form five years and then i'll show you some good stuff or or stuff like that and it's just it's just my two cents well you're right um well people don't realize okay like you know i live in albuquerque new mexico i mean i mean people you know people in the united states think it's a country you know it's mm-hmm. like no it's a state i mean yeah. and you know i don't know if you know but you know john jones lives here i mean diego sanchez you know holly holmes mm-hmm, mm-hmm. He, you know um, they must be like superstars over there. Well, yes and no. Um, see, I, I, I know Greg Jackson, and I know Mike Winklejohn. I've known Mike since the 70s. Okay. okay? Mm-hmm. Mike actually is a real fighter. Greg's not. Greg's not the fighter. He's kind of like the guy that puts it all together. And so what people don't realize is that basically, you know, you when you talk UFC, which one are you talking about? Are you talking about the one that was created in 92? When they use real martial artists that fought actually all the way to the, from beginning to end, right? Or are you talking about guys that fight in brackets and they fight every so many months or what, once or twice a year or next few years? Okay, there's a big difference. Okay, I was actually my school was next door to Greg's. I was actually in an MA gym and actually with trainers, and I taught. Mm-hmm. I've crossed hands with these guys. Yeah, there's nothing to me. But then again, remember, my fighting element is completely different. I know how to fight yeah. really well. And so it, it's like keep taking – they don't have – they do not have a lot of elements that we do or any traditional fighter has. Mm-hmm. Because remember, sport has rules. Yeah. And sport has rules in a way that we can't – You know, we don't have rules. They do. And if you fight by their rules, you lose immediately. Yes, 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 absolutely. Absolutely. That's context, is king. context is king, in my opinion. What's that? Context is king. So if you if you plan on fighting yeah. an MMA guy, just don't wear MMA gloves and uh, get in the octagon with them. Just bring them to your environment. Well, you know that's that's another that's another interesting concept. You know, fighting an octagon. I mean, that's just entertainment. I mean, if you look at an MMA guy. You know, it, it's it's like a Frankenstein monster that has been welded pieces together. Okay. And people don't realize that. And so, you know, it's it just the re, the true reality is is that, you know, you know these arts, all these arts are you know were created in a battlefield era, which is really fascinating concept. 
you know, imagine, say, for example, we're having to fight somebody that's in battle armor. I, I tell guys, you know, military guys that come through. I have, I have mil- there's a military basis here. I have military guys come in. I said, how much is your battle armor wear? You know, weigh. Yeah. Like it's like it's like sixty five to one hundred twenty pounds. You know, how would you know? How would you take somebody down? Would you go to the ground? Like no. <laughs> how would you take somebody down? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I show, I show it all the time. It's nothing unusual. It's not complex. And yet, you know, if, and I show them exactly how to use a sealant towel, just a sealant towel alone, mm-hmm. on how to do this. Yeah. You don't have to go into the lab. They're trying to use third or second form or butterfly knives, or I have to do my dummy to do this. No, it should always come back down to this. Basic. Every here's here's something I want everybody to think about. You can have one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, but if you don't have zero, you can't make ten. And the problem is nobody has zero today because they want to all go all the way down to a thousand with no zero. The base. And that's what's lacking. And nobody's willing to actually sit down and look at the underside of the car versus the top side of the car to find out what's wrong to make it work. Interesting. Interesting. I, know, I, I feel I feel a bit differently about that. I feel like uh, people will absolutely put in the work. Um, I mean, you know, like proof is the fact that, um, you know, you just have people dedicating their lives to even to traditional martial arts and training like crazy i feel that they will put in the work if they see the why and the how like why should i why should i learn the zero if if somebody truly <laughs> deeply understands the the power of having basics they will train them if uh, if uh, somebody feels for example your hands if even if they've been training martial arts for years and they feel your structure your hands and, and they get a taste of it, they will absolutely, um, you know, do the form, You're right. learn the form. I think if the is powerful, the, the training will be powerful as well. No, you're totally 100% right. You know, here, here's my point, okay? If you're at the zero, the question is how well can you stand? Mm-hmm. How well can you stand? How well can you take, bring energy in to bring energy back out? Yeah. So it's a real basic concept. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But everybody, every, Everybody wants to just punch, 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 and kick. So it's Wing Chun is becoming into like almost on the level of like a kickboxing sport art in, mm-hmm. in this sense, present day. Mm-hmm. Interesting. And it becomes highly emotional. You know, to actually really fight, yeah, you have to use your head. You have to use your head, not in the sense to get hit. You have to use your head in a way to think methodically beforehand on actually how, how does this person move? How does this yeah. person walk? What yeah. side does he use his body on? How are you going to actually get this body, this person to turn sideways and still go straight in, not try to go off to the side and try to hit them off the side? Because you can't do that with a lot of fighters. And that's a big flaw that we should people have. Here's another question. Yes. How come present day Wing Chun only just has one punch? Great question. Let's see it. And, and people. Great question. Let's hear it, guys, in the comment section. Let's see. Did, <laughs> let, me, let me ask everyone listening in right now. And tell us in the comment section if you knew that there was that Wing Chun had different types of punches except the straight punch. So if you knew that, just say yes in the comment section. If you didn't know that Wing Chun had more than one uh, punch, just say no. I I really love to hear uh, if you to hear your voices. Awesome. Um, tell us when where can people sign up for um the workshop when is it and why should they come the workshop's going to be held in boston the last weekend in may it's on a saturday and so you can go on facebook um to actually you know that's the best way to do this yes um also too on my website uh seafood phil uh, mm-hmm. it'll be posted up there for the people on the west coast and the southwest and and um so you'll be able to go through that one um the why is, you know, if you really, really want to take the time out to really learn and you really want to get to know who we are as teachers, mm-hmm. because, you know, myself, um, Mark Phillips, Alex Richter, and Jim Rosalando, I mean, we really will sit down with you. We'll even have dinner with you. And we will actually talk to you one-on-one. I mean, we're not going to, like, you know, you know, you know, you have to pay me $200, you know, to buy my time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we yeah, don't yeah. do that anymore. Those days are gone. That's what we, 
that was propagated in my era. And that's the reason why we see this problem today. I feel so too. Because a lot of people turn it over. I, I feel I feel so too. And um, I'm so happy you mentioned that, you know, because some people feel like, oh, they, they stick so much to their information. But information is free today. We don't need so much information. We need more connection. Just like you mentioned, like actually sitting down with somebody and, and talking and, and feeling and understanding and, and um, you know, getting, tapping into somebody else's wisdom rather than just yeah, information. Totally. It comes back down to me, like me and you right here and everybody listening to our, our con it's going to start with a conversation. Mm-hmm. I love it. It's as human as you can get. It's as human as you can get. When, you know, when you talk social media, you're not talk. You're talking to a bunch of words that somebody's typing in. Yeah. But how many people will sit there and make a phone call and say, Steve Bowden, you know, let's have a conversation. Let's Skype. Let's talk. Let's get yes. to know each other. Yes. That changes the whole dynamics that we could ever be just, you know, in an empty space just typed in words. I love that. I love that. And I absolutely agree. You know, the, the more you do that, the... Um People will, will, will have more trust in you. And uh, so Here's, Let me show this with you real quick and the guys that are out there. Sure. Every, you know, people that know me know that I, I, I to this day, I still do this. Mm-hmm. If I want to go meet a teacher, I will make a phone call to find out when the teacher is going to be there. Yeah. I will go, even if it comes down to it, I will go get a second or third job to make the money and go. And I will sit there with that teacher Pay him whatever he asks the money for, yeah. and train directly under him. I, I I do this all the time. It's nothing unusual to me. And this is how you you get so much knowledge and information. <coughs> Excuse me. <clears throat> and this is how you get to know people one on one and develop solid relationships versus trying to Skype with this. You know, I mean, uh, type this guy. You know, a, a message that's empty, and you know, it just. I will actually go, and and when it, eventually over time after like you know, four decades. Now I have really solid relationships with other teachers. And now tonight I actually have a, a, a teacher um, that's very well versed in actually Bogwashini because um, mm-hmm. there was a Desert Dragon competition here in Albuquerque this past weekend. He will be teaching at my school tonight. And him and I have been talking for about two, three years. And we're finally getting ourselves connected here while he's here to do the teaching. And then sometime this year after I get back from Asia, I'll, I'll be at his place and I'm teaching also over there for like a week. I love it. I love it. Yeah. It's all about the relationship. Yeah. Ever since, ever <coughs> it's about since the relationship. We, uh, we started the podcast, you know, the, the main idea of the podcast is just connecting people and just allowing ourselves to learn from each other a lot more rather than arguing, you know, whose style is the best, which is absolutely stupid. Um, let's let, because we, since you brought it up, let's, uh, just dive into one of the questions that we got from, uh, Ronnie Danielson. He's saying, Hi, Ronnie from Sweden here. What's the best way to attract members to a Wing Chun club and then the best way to actually keep them? The best way to attract them is actually look at their you know, look at their background. You know, you, you can send them a message. Don't ever hesitate to send a teacher a message. The first message is pretty much you can read right through. If a teacher's willing to sit down and say, Hey, look. Let's Skype, like, you know, like what I'm doing here. Mm-hmm. And let's actually have a personal conversation. And if that teacher is really, you know, is open to you, he'll sit down and listen to your needs. He's like a dad. Yeah. You know what do you think Sifu means? Yeah. I mean, he's like a father figure. Yeah. Um, and so. Yeah, I think, I think what he's asking, I think he has a Wing Chun school. And what he's asking is how can he get more students in his school and then keep them for, uh, for a longer time, for a longer period? That's a tough one. You know, a lot of it actually, <coughs> a lot of it is that, you know, you can teach the system, but don't make it impersonal. Yeah. Sit down and get to know your students. Get to know them, what makes them tick. Get to know them also of their faults and build them up from there. Show them that you have faults as equally as they do, that you're just on the same level. You're just one that's carrying the information to them and give them the livelihood. I love that. Be a part of their lives. I love that. Yeah. 
And um, I, I think I mentioned this in the previous interview as well. This is something that I started to do uh, a few months ago. So, for example, in my school, every person that comes in, I, I book an hour with them where we go out for tea and I just, I just, we just talk and I, I, I uh, you know, I want to learn what their goals are and, and create a plan so that they get there, you know, and, and just find out what's holding them back. And people appreciate that so, so much. And, um, and I love that you, you mentioned the fact that, look, just, just, just show that you're a human being. You're not this kind of, this kind of, uh, I don't know, like, like you have all the solutions or you're some kind of guru or, or some crazy stuff like that. You know, I, I really like that you mentioned that. Well, okay. <laughs> Something to think about, you know, when you're talking on this level, right, to keep students, mm -hmm. you have to become an interpactor or, you know, part of their life. You, yeah. you know, you're not this, this Sifu icon that you see like in the It Man movies. Okay. Yeah. Like it was interesting because like I've done I've done actually the um I, I did actually the the interviews and, and even when Oatman Two opened up I was in Thailand Bangkok so actually we did we did uh, um uh, uh, a podcast TV station I mean, at the radio station we had done one at the at the TV station yeah um we had actually you know we and I did one here in Albuquerque for the Oatman Three. Well, the interesting aspect about the concept was is people started actually wanting to get to know who I was. Mm -hmm. You know, that, you know, basically, if you look at it, the United States, you know, like Peterson himself, you know, for, for, um, for, um, the Australia to, to where he's at now in Malaysia, you know, you, you're talking to a guy that, you know, myself that are first generation, you know, US and, and he's first generation of his, of his place where he's at and second generation Hong Kong. So, you know, it, it brings you down to a much deeper level. But the thing is, is that back in those days, those guys, you know, these guys were riding coattails. We don't ride coattails. I don't. What does that you know? mean? I'm sorry, what does that mean? In other words, in other words, you know, playing the seafood part, you know, that, you know, you got to sit down and pay me 150 bucks to have a conversation with me. Yeah. Or I'm going to tell you, forget that. You know, to be honest, I, I did that. I did that in the beginning. And uh, it was 100% because I wasn't really secure about who I was as a martial arts teacher and that was the hands down the reason why looking back you know that's why I did it but but you grew you grew past it yeah you know once you once you accept the fact that you're also human and you allow yourself to make mistakes as well and you're open about it with with other people it just you know yeah. it's, it's, it's just different right people really love that they love so connecting keep, and learning so from keep, other people. Yeah. To keep students and to build your school is going to be based on how well you can actually, one, have good conversation with them and become a really good teacher and friend and actually like a father to them in that yes. sense. And also, in their hardships, help them work through that because it helps you work through your hardships in your teaching and also in your personal life. I love that. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yes. <laughs> 100%. It's always like what you teach, you just become better at. Always. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah it evolves. It evolves. Karis is asking, how can I improve my meditation? From Norway. And he's saying hello from Norway. Hello, Karis. Yeah, Karis, thank you. It's, it's, really, it's really a simple concept. But you have to be willing to put yourself in the position to do this. Mm -hmm. Put yourself in a very quiet room. Turn off all, anything that, that would cause a distraction. You know, any of your social media stuff, just shut it off. Mm -hmm. Do one thing. Stand with your hands down, close your eyes, and just breathe and slow your respiration down. Just do that. That's the base period. That's a zero. And yeah. if you do this, the first thing you start to realize is you have a lot of head noise coming up. And you have to learn how to curb head noise. All the things you hear in your head and the things that distract you, you got to shut that off. And once you start to do that, basically, essence of chi will flow. People don't understand that concept anymore. Nobody even knows what chi really, its identity is based on. But, you know, but you'll notice, you'll notice a huge difference. You will notice a huge difference. If you could just do that, once you can kind of get that concept down yeah. and you feel comfortable with it, 
Then do your form the same identical way. Yes. That's it. I feel like meditation is going to be huge, huge in a few years. I, I feel like a lot, a lot of people are going to uh, uh, dive into this quest of, of meditation just because of the fact that we are bombarded with, uh, with noise. Well, here's why. Mm. Think about this, okay? Social media does something really awful to us, and it causes a lot of opposition. Mm -hmm. causes a lot of racism amongst people that are unnecessary mm. why would I why would I go into your house and destroy it why when I could sit down and have a dinner with you and your family and your students yes. that is your family and the problem is is that see people have lost the ability to learn how to socialize very well mm -hmm. and communicate very well and be very diplomatic with diplomacy a cousin, I mean, a cousin of mine told me, he says, look, you're good. At, you're very good at a lot of things, mm -hmm. but there are two things you lack. There's only two things you lack. He said, tack and diplomacy. Yeah. If you can get that in your head and if you can get that in your spirit, you'll be very good at what you do. Mm -hmm. I worked, I worked at it, worked at it, worked at it, and I'm getting there. <laughs> I, I personally, you know, I, I feel a bit differently about social media because, um, I feel that when when used right, like for example, the people who are watching us right now, and guys, we're super grateful that you're uh, still tuning in and uh, you're still here with us. You're uh, you're awesome. Um, if you use it the right way, just to open your heart and open your mind to um, you know to wisdom, like like Sifu Romero, and um, to these ideas of meditation, to these ideas of sitting down with your students and being deeper part of their lives, right? I think it can benefit a, a, a lot, you know, in your I agree life. 100%. I agree. Mm -hmm. You know, it, the other aspect, too, is because, you know, people are so afraid today. You know, they're they're, they're, they're fears. Yes. You know, people are, are, are so afraid. And, you know, you, you know, I don't know if you know, but I also have a, a Qigong background, I'm pretty extensive and, and real heavy duty. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, but, but the reality is, is that, you know, I'm getting more and more people that want to learn the Qigong side. Yes. And so I am into that, and here's what happens. Now they're really wanting to learn the Wing Chun and to learn how to protect themselves because they're not afraid like they were. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yes, yes. Because I've been able to help them work in developing confidence. And once they start to realize that really they were more afraid of themselves than what, they'd been, than what they thought they were originally afraid of. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I agree. I actually had somebody a few weeks ago who came to the school who, who was doing Qigong for some time, and he said, "Look, I want to do some Wing Chun as well. I want some. Uh, I want to complete my Wing Chun, my uh, Qigong training with some action, and uh, I wanted to to dive deeper into that. Yeah, I love that. I love that. Uh, Ronnie, Ronnie was uh, thanking us for the answer. He said he said he uh, found it as uh, you know he just said good answer. Uh, we have Alan." Uh, Minky Hansen saying, hi, Phil, great to see you smile. And uh, <laughs> Karis is very grateful for the knowledge. Okay, uh, Sifu Romero, thank you so much for spending this, uh, this hour with us and uh, for sharing your wisdom, your knowledge with, uh, with everyone who tuned in. Guys, everyone who listened to uh, the live stream, you are rock stars. Be sure to share this uh, live stream with your Kung Fu family and uh with your friends because they're going to get like i said in the beginning they're going to be getting a lot a lot of value from it and um yeah i'll see you guys uh next time thank you that was really great is there anything that you want to leave everybody listening like any piece of wisdom that you'd like to share now uh, towards the end yeah you know everybody that's out there that's listening really put your time in for yourself it's a, because it comes down, it begins with you, it's going to end with you. You know, teachers have a lot of, you know, good information. Learn how to work with your teacher, you know, make sure the teacher works with you. Yeah. You know, teachers make mistakes, you know, we all make mistakes. You know, we have, you have to remember, we have a lot of pressure, you know, a lot of pressure as a teacher to, to work with everybody. But we work it out eventually. Be a part of your teacher's life and let him be a part of your life, mm -hmm. or vice versa. <clears throat> the, other aspect, the other aspect is, you know, 
I'm real open. I mean, if you, you know, if somebody wants to get a hold of me, get a hold of me on Facebook. You know, send me a message. You know, don't just, you know, click on to be a friend thing. Yeah. Actually talk to me. I mean, I'm pretty open about things. You know, you can ask me questions. I'll be more than willing to answer them. I'm there. That. You know? I love that. I love that. Guys, go ahead and uh, connect with Sifu uh, Romero and um, ask him, you know, some questions maybe regarding meditation, maybe Tai Chi, maybe uh, Qigong, um, and absolutely regarding Wing Chun. And uh, if you can make it to the Boston event, absolutely do so. Um, and maybe you can ask him questions about the uh, the event. Guys, thank you so much for tuning in. I'll see you next time. Until then, have an amazing, amazing day. Okay, guys, thank you so much for listening in. I hope this was super valuable for you. And if you want to have unstoppable self-confidence without seeming arrogant, there's a link in the description where you can download the free report. And if you want me to personally help you with your martial arts training so that you get more speed, power, precision, stability, and have a deeper understanding of your body, you go ahead and you check the link for our online academy, which you will find, of course, in the description. And please go ahead and give us a rating on iTunes. It does help and it is very much appreciated. I'll see you next time.